0: You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. Imagine being from a town of 100,000 or so, a little bit over that, and being able to produce players that have gone on to play internationally, professionally, um, and at the highest levels of U.S. college basketball. Um, that is exactly what Nick Drain, today's guest, has done. Um, probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves for developing homegrown talent. Uh, he has built a club to uh, an incredible level. Uh, down in Ipswich in Suffolk, um, and I thought it would be really interesting to get him on the show to discuss exactly what he has done and how he has done it, and that is what we did. Before we get into the, the show, uh, always got to give a quick mention to our Patreon account. Uh, we are growing our subscriber base there. If you go to patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix, that's P A T R E O N.com forward slash hoopsfix. There you can sign up to give as much or as little as you'd like every single month to help support the work that we're doing. Podcasts like this, they cost money. Traveling around the country, going to games, uh, all of that does cost money. And what we're doing is coming directly to you, our audience, to help us make greater contributions to the British basketball media landscape. So go and check it out, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. Obviously, if you're listening on iTunes, please do take a quick minute to give us a rating and review. Uh, It's much uh, appreciated and helps uh, grow the podcast uh, far and wide. And of course, if you want to give personal feedback, you can drop me an email sam at hoopsfix.com or you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at hoopsfix and I will happily respond uh, to every single one. Anyway, that is enough from me. Uh, Here is this week's show with me and Nick Drain. Nick, welcome to the show
0: thanks for having me sam it's awesome
1: it's been it's been a long time coming um so let's uh let's go right back to the start you know obviously there's a lot of stuff you're doing in ipswich which i do want to get into but um i think the obvious place always to start is kind of your beginnings with basketball and how you first got into the game
0: well i uh i don't think i have the kind of the traditional basketball journey i'm not from a big city i'm not from somewhere with a with a rich history of basketball so uh, I went to a, a, a high school in the countryside in Suffolk called Holbrook High School, and we were fortunate enough to have two members of staff at that school that were basketball enthusiasts: Bernard Ball, uh, who is uh, who's Michael Ball's father, uh, and a guy called Garth McLean, who was the head of PE, who who was a basketball referee at a very high level. So even though we only had 250 people in the entire school, one thing you did at Holbrook is you played basketball. It was it was very high. Uh, on the priority list in terms of after school clubs, and I I played basketball at school, um, and I have two older brothers that also played basketball at school, and I just fell in love with the game. But there was no junior national league, there was no nowhere really for people to play other than local league, um, and, and and in your backyard. And re- really, I learnt to play basketball at, at, at school. Started playing local league men's when I was about thirteen because I was a, I was a big boy, so I could I could you know play play with men at a very young age. Um, but I learned to play in the backyard with with my two older brothers and their friends, and I always made up the numbers, and, and uh, I got the crap beaten out of me, to be honest, <laughs> by my brothers and their friends, and and, and and kind of my fondest memories really as a player, really growing up, were, were playing in the yard with, with my brothers, and it wasn't until I was about 17, and I'd got pretty good, um, and they launched the Colchester program that I went over there and tried out for them, uh, playing for Mark Lloyd, and Mark Lloyd... Utterly inspired me. Utterly inspired me, and we had a, a junior team that included Tom Sadler, um, a guy called Simon Taylor, uh, some really good players, the best players I'd ever seen from my little, uh, you know, bubble that I was in, in in little old Suffolk. And I thought, you know, guys could dunk it. That was that was like an amazing thing for me, you know, coming from playing in the garden and playing at school level and local league level. Um, and I played for Colchester. And uh, kind of the rest is history, really, for me, because that's when when I got introduced to National League basketball. And so I started very late, uh, but I was a big guy. I could move a little bit, slightly better than I can now. Um, what position did you play? Um, I was, I was a probably, a, in all reality, a four. I'd like to tell everyone I could play the three. But uh, I became a better shooter as I got older, and the older I got, the better player I became. I was a much better player at senior level than at junior level at junior level I was a bit of a bit of a meat muncher I set good picks I'd dive on the floor I was I I was never afraid to you know, roll my sleeves up and get stuck in and and that came from playing with two older brothers who were you know would would you know literally I mean I, I remember my brother punching me in the face because I scored on him you know like best thing that ever happened to me by the way but but you know my, my two older brothers uh, I I really you know owe it all to them in terms of my journey as a basketball player and and to mark because mark took me in as a super enthusiastic suffolk kid and mark kind of opened my eyes up to 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 the the real world of basketball which was in this country junior national league and then eventually senior national league so that's kind of how how it all started for me really and you you did end up going to canada on scholarship i did yeah um it was a it kind of happened by accident because i went to high school with a girl called sally kaznika who had a great career as a as a professional player, she was part of the England team that won a bronze at the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, uh, and Sally went to the University of Winnipeg. She was a, a junior national teams player, and Winnipeg's women's team came over to the UK on tour, probably in, I think it must have been 99 or 2000, um, and I just, you know, I was a 18, 19-year-old boy, and a bunch of athletic girls from Canada came to Ipswich, so I was, you know, around them as much as I could be, and... uh I just got talking to the coaching staff and was talking about how I'd started playing basketball and kind of got quite good quite quickly and really wanted to pursue it. And the next thing I know, I'm having email conversations with the coach. I send a film out and, and they, they they recruited me. Uh, I didn't last very long. Uh, again, kind of my naivety and, and lack of exposure to basketball at the highest level meant that I didn't stay in Canada for uh, the longest period of time. But, you know, I, I'm I'm able kind of when I when I talk to people and even now to, to, to draw on those experiences as a player yeah. that, that came to the game late, had to work really hard, really quickly, relied on a, a great coach that inspired me and then and then, kind of the whole learning experience of trying to get out there and then not knowing what it was like once you're out there was was, was something that I talk to people a lot about now.
1: So how, how come it was so short-lived? Was that
0: because they didn't want you or because you left or? I oh, No, I left. I left because I got injured. Um, I'd been out I was 20 when I went so i was uh, okay. I'd been out of education for two years and I'd been working and playing for Colchester so I was you know I was working kind of 15 hours a week in a, in a shop to fund my full-time training regime that I thought I was on at the time and that kind of thing and I got injured really early on when I was out there and I was studying and I was like man I hate studying i'm I'm out for like eight months with a really bad ankle injury I had a girlfriend back in the uk at the time and I was like I, I, I don't know how much I really want to do this, and 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 and, and I left, I, and, and you know it, it's something that was the best and the worst thing that ever happened to me because I you know I'd worked pretty hard to get there, and then it didn't try go the way I, I thought it would. But you know I didn't consider the academic side of things. I didn't consider the social side of things. You know if you you're playing a lot of basketball but you're studying, and if you haven't studied for two years, and yeah, you know, I mean I was studying like these random subjects because they were like, yeah, we, we've got space on these courses. And I, I just didn't know anything about it. I wasn't educated. I hadn't sought out the opportunity to get educated myself. So I, I, I just I just kind of did it. I was probably there till about Christmas time, came back, but I fell on my feet when I came back. So I was kind of, you know, I don't believe in fate, but if there is such a thing, then then I, I definitely had a stroke of luck when I came back because I kind of fell straight into... Basketball development. So that was... Uh, so yeah, I was going to
1: say, so when you came back, was was your first job as the basketball development officer for Suffolk? Yeah. Right. And so you had, you had already... By the time you'd come back, had you given up aspirations of playing professionally? Had you had in your mind, oh, I want to get into this coaching thing? Or like kind of what was your thought process and or
0: was it just kind of just by chance you saw the job? You're like, oh yeah, basketball, I'll do that. Well, I'd, I'd done coaching before I went away. I'd, I'd done some stuff with Mark. Um, and for my sins and something that I... it's now going to definitely be in the public domain. Before I, while I was playing basketball for Colchester, I was was studying at Performing Arts College. I wanted to be an actor. Um, It's where I'm at my wife, so people can mock me as much as they want, but the best thing that ever happened to me happened while I was at college. Um, uh, And Mark kind of always said to me, Nick, you're you're, you're the best communicator I know. Like, you, you can stand in front of people and you can hold an audience and you know the game. And you know you're going to be a good coach when you stop playing. So when I came back and there was a job in basketball being advertised, Mark was the one that kind of said, "This has got your name all over it, Nick," and 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 so he helped me. He was a, he was an enormous influence on me uh, at the early stages of my career, and he kind of helped me with my application. Um, and Suffolk Suffolk Sport wanted me to apply. They they the the manager of Suffolk Sport drove. Three-hour round trip to get the application form to me before the deadline, so I was kind of quite confident that that my application would be would be favourable, and Mark helped me get that 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 job, um, and Mark had just taken a job working in Suffolk himself as a sports development officer. So, you know what what then happened was that Mark became my host essentially. So, in Mark's office in Stone Market, Mark then housed. The county basketball development officer so mark and i shared an office so for the first kind of 18 months of my basketball development professional career i was working alongside mark who was at the time you know a national teams team manager even then had done that for several years um and he really kind of mentored me and and talked to me a lot about kind of my potential in in, in coaching he encouraged me to, to to go and do my level three um he he made me coach a a colchester junior team while i was still playing for the men because i went back and played for colchester after after things in canada didn't work out um and i've found and i've always said this to people i found when you play well you, you can be really pleased for yourself you've had a good game if you coach well 12 people have a great experience and that's kind of something that i've i still believe in today that uh you, you, you stand to have a greater influence as a coach than you did as a player and and, and I um, find that quite satisfying I, I, I and, and that has obviously grown significantly now because I work with a lot more than 12 kids.
1: Well, what do you think um, made Suffolk want to have a basketball development officer? Like why was there a
0: push for the, for basketball in particular in that area? So Sport England uh, launched an initiative called Active Sports which was a national initiative. So it was being rolled out all across the country so every uh county sports partnership had various part-time sports development coordinators right so in suffolk there was uh uh, myself there was a a hockey there was a swimming development officer i think i think we had um i think i think there was a tennis guy as well if memory serves and my way of doing that job was coaching so i just literally just drove around the county going into schools and, and running like crazy taster sessions where I'd have I'd go in and say well I'll do six hours I just you know I need a a break for lunch at some point and and a coffee halfway through the afternoon and I'd just go in and I'd be like I'd I'd be this performing arts student coaching basketball so I'm I was completely you know mad with these kids but they'd all leave like wanting to come to another basketball session and that's kind of how it all started for me and, and that was kind of the resurgence of basketball in Suffolk because Ipswich has had, and I'm always very quick to point this out to people, Ipswich Basketball Club had a women's team that was launched in the mid-70s. Um, so when people say to me, you know, Nick created Ipswich Basketball Club, I'm very quick to say, actually, you know, I didn't. I I would say that I, with some other good people, kind of um, reinvented it and and led its resurgence when it was kind of needed needed a bit of a, an overhaul but I I'm, I'm, i didn't make Ipswich Basketball Club
1: So it, was it at that point when you were doing these uh, sort of the, the taste sessions coaching sessions whatever you want to call them um, was it that that sparked kind of the thoughts of like oh maybe this coaching thing is what I want to do. This is where, sort of, career-wise, where I want. Were you still at that point potentially thinking, oh, maybe i will go to acting or, or whatever, or you know, what kind of, what was, yeah, what were you, how were you approaching it?
0: Well, I mean, the acting thing never even took off. I, I went to perform an arts school because you know I, I didn't want to do A levels, and and I can play the piano, and I'd been in a couple of school productions, and I'd, you know, let's not beat around the bush. I'm, I like being in front of an audience. I like being the centre of attention. Let's not pretend that I don't. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, and 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 uh, I I went to performing arts college to kind of just figure stuff out. I was sixteen, but as soon as the Colchester thing took off, basketball was what I wanted to do. So, as soon as I started the the, the basketball development job, I was like, this This is what I want to do. This is so rewarding. I mean, I, I I'm I'm that was nearly twenty years ago, and I'm as passionate about it as I was then. But I, I just find it so overwhelmingly uh rewarding and and satisfying and I've been very fortunate enough to kind of work my way up a ladder I guess if there is such a thing uh, you know you know and and so so as soon as I was in that county development officer job I because that was 20 hours a week that job and I, my, my first thing was I said to them "Well, like, this needs to be full-time and they said well we don't have the funding and I said well I'll 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 earn it and, and it became full-time and then one thing led to another, and and you know. So it was while you were
1: doing that job that you founded Ipswich Tomcats, right?
0: So yeah, so part of the kind of the criteria for that job was to uh, establish a pathway within the county. Um, so Ipswich had uh, for many years been a very successful women's program, but at that point Bernard, who was my school teacher, was also the, the guy running Ipswich. Bernard had retired; his son Michael had moved on. Michael, I think, went coached in Australia for a time, and then was back in the UK, and he was down in Solent um and so ipswich while it was still functioning as a national league program at that point only had a junior team they no longer had a senior women's team so kind of the the the, one of the the things was in addition to raising participation and interest and all that kind of thing is we need a we need a a pathway locally so that's when we we launched the tomcats as, as as they were known then um and we launched the tomcats i think 03-04 O three O four maybe I think it was O three O four. We launched the Tomcats. It might have been O four O five, but we had a year of it when it wasn't competitive, so we were just training. Um, and and again, I just I just loved it because I was getting to coach, not just you know inspiring kids and infusing kids with uh, you know a crazy taster session, but actually teaching these kids how to play basketball and and to kind of developing their skills. Um, and so we 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 relaunched the sorry we launched the the Junior Boys Programme and kind of re, relaunched the Junior Women's Programme. And we, we went from having, you know, under 14 boys to the following year, 14s and 16s. The following year, 14s, 16s, 18s. The following year, I think we then had under 13s, under 14s, under 16s, under 18s. Um, and then Catherine James came along, who is Bernard Ball's daughter, Michael Bull's sister. Um, and uh, I moved on to a different role, and Catherine, Inherited my old job, so the county development officer, and then Catherine did the same thing. She was like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna sink my teeth into the junior women's side of things, and suddenly Ipswich was you know had like six seven junior teams, and a demand for a senior team. We we started producing some decent kids. Um, Lee Greenan is probably the the highest profile boy that we produced in our early in our early days, and I I I sent Lee, Lee off to an academy. Um, and then we had Dylan Johns he came along and we sent Dylan off to Barking and then we sort of all sat around and said we keep sending these kids to academies why don't we look at an Academy and that's kind of how that uh, that evolved and I'm, I'm, I'm racing off here so I'm yeah. To- so, so what, it's
1: very easy to sort of reflect on things and say okay you know like first year we had under 14s or whatever then we did under 16s under 18s but actually that that process of how that happens like how does that happen like you have to have the demand from the local area right you've yeah. got to have the kids that want to play basketball first yeah. of all to be able to have the to be able to actually have the teams um so yeah i think it'd be really interesting to kind of explore that like how you know you're starting from scratch you've obviously i assume have built up a little bit of a network from doing the job that you've you've been doing um but where does the demand and the interest grow from how do you create that
0: i think i think what we did and i, and I think what i would advise other people to do is you've got to develop relationships with schools you've got to get into the schools um, and you've got to go into a, a school session with the attitude of, right, I'm not here today. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit of a sales pitch, to be frank. You go into a school and it's not, I'm, I'm going to, in the one hour that I've got with these kids, they're all going to get better at basketball. It's got to be in the one hour that I get with these kids, as many as possible of them, a possible of them are going to go, man, that was fun. I want to do it again. And I've always said whenever I tutor and whenever I talk to young coaches and whenever I sort of induct coaches into our club, I always have this philosophy is their hour with me is going to be the highlight of their week. And I still have that attitude today, working with the best kids that I have, is the best part of their week is going to be playing basketball with me. So i go into a school, I'd go into a school, because I don't work in the primary schools anymore, I have people that, that do that for me, but go into the school and get as many of those schools sorry, many of those kids in those schools to, to come to a community session where it's just fun, it's fun, it's fun. And we, we give them a t-shirt and we give them a wristband and we give them a ball and we say to them, you, you know, this is, this is you're you're going to be really good, stick at this. And and then before you know it, you, you then go, right, well, do you know what? We've got 40 kids in a community session. Let's have an under-12s team. And you have an under-12s, we have an under-12s team and we've got 35 kids in it. And then of that 35, you know, 25 of them go into under 14s and then 15 of them go into under 16s and, and and that's how we did it it was very much with the attitude of inspire them in the first instance don't you know a, a kid that's never played basketball doesn't care about his hand position uh, uh, on a jump shot what he cares about is the association of enjoyment yeah. with that session yeah. so taking a kid who doesn't enjoy something and tell them that they're doing it wrong they ain't going to do it take a kid and make them love it and once they love it then you can say to them right do you know that if you did that off your left foot it would be the right way to do it or do you know if you hold your follow through it might go in a bit more or something like that so so that's how we did it. it was all about getting personality into the sessions and then from there you can you can then teach the game no one does anything if very very few people do anything that they don't enjoy yeah do you know what I mean? So association of passion, fun, enjoyment, love with our sport, and and, and I I you know I have that everywhere I go. So I, I you know I don't take that for granted either. Yeah.
1: Would you say that <clears throat> sixteen years later, you know, since since you first set up the club now, if you were to stop doing the primary school sessions, uh, that there's enough of a sort of culture and awareness of basketball that kids would still come in, or do you think that that is something that you have to continually do over time forever?
0: Um, I think you need to be in the schools from a talent ID perspective. Now the difference is we've got a brand and a reputation locally, so if if I write to a head of PE, they reply, and that's kind of something that I know is a bone of contention in the basketball community. Is getting into the schools in the first place is really hard. I, I I'm I've reached kind of a point where I'm I sit on various committees in the school in, school environment, so the, you know the the Ipswich Primary School Sporting Association. I I. Sit on that committee. I have very good links with the school games organisers, that kind of thing. So if I need to get information out, um, it's pretty easy. What I would say is, when you go into the primary schools, that's the the time where you see, you know, a kid for the first time, and you you know anyone who's coached for a little while, or even if you've not coached and you've just been around basketball, you can spot a basketballer at eight years old, ten years old, and again that comes back to the association with love, passion, fun, enjoyment. So I think that you need to be in those schools because most of the best kids are already playing another sport. So you, we kinda of got kinda got nick them from those sports in some respects. And so um you see all the time she she plays athlete, she does athletics or she plays football or he plays football or he does gymnastics. And yeah, okay, right, we well gotta we've got to make them love basketball more in order to get them to play our sport. And so I think that's why you need to stay in the schools and never take that that's that that part of the 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 kind of the process away. It would be really easy to just send out information of our under 14s trials and, and assume that we're gonna get the best athletes to those, but you know, you might not. Do you feel
1: like uh you know when I look at your club, clearly you're doing things from a, a bottom a bottom up approach and you're making sure you've got the foundations in place to then have the entire pathway. Um do you feel like we've got too many clubs that are you know, well, they're just taking care of the top. They've got, you know, maybe one national league team, and they don't actually have anything underneath feeding into it. They're kind of approaching it the wrong way, rather than, you know, getting your base, getting your foundations first. Um, I think you could, you know, in some ways, you could say that's going all the way through to BBL clubs in in some cases, where they're they're, you know, not doing a good job of of the um, getting kids to love the game first, developing the talent, and then you know, being in a situation where you you've then got players in your senior team that have come through the entire program.
0: Well, I, I think everyone's got a different agenda, and I think you know, it would be naive to not be aware of that. And I think that's one of the things, and, and uh, there's a lot of you know, a lot of people talk about their, their frustrations. No one probably more than me in terms of what happens and what goes on in, in our sport. One of the reasons why we do it our way is because we had to, because we didn't have that top end of the tree to start with. So um, we did it a certain way, and it's been very successful and, and very rewarding, so we now haven't changed it. Other people will start at the top and work their way down, and create that brand, uh, and have people you know sold on the brand rather than the sport, um, and 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 do it that way. There's no right and wrong way. My argument will always be doing it our way creates more basketball players, um, and, and that's what our sport needs—male and female, female in particular at the moment. You know, you know, we, we need more basketball players. So the best way of doing it is having as many programs that have multiple age groups, both male and female players. Um, you know, there's many kind of pairs of hands working for that for that end goal of creating basketball players. Um, I, I I don't blame programs that you know have a pro team or a you know D1 team or whatever, and and and, and assuming that everyone will come to them. I don't blame them for doing that. Um, I just think I can only speak for the way I've done it. The way I've done it is overwhelmingly rewarding. I I can't really articulate how much pride there is in coaching someone when they're nine and then having them either play for your senior team or go off to the states or go off and be successful at a British university or, or or come and come and get a job in basketball like our physio at our academy was a girl that played under 12s 14s 16s 18s went off to uni come back and is now the physio you know i that, that I cannot put into words the sort of sense of uh, pride I feel in her journey and her success
1: yeah do you find uh have you had other clubs you know people starting up or trying to do their own thing come to you and and, and ask you how you're doing what you're doing do you think there's an awareness of the fact that you know Ipswich is a population of 120,000 ish um and you're having success on a on a national level at pretty much every age group boys and girls um doing very well like you know for me it's like Clearly, there is some type of blueprint there that really could be applied elsewhere in other, in other parts of the country which are maybe a little bit more re- remote and don't have um, the athletic raw athletic talent that London has or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah do you find you know people have come to you and, and, and ask you for advice or uh, have you looked at trying to help other areas uh, rolling out their own sort of clubs or, or programs?
0: Um, th- th- there are people that have come to me um, not enough. I don't think, but then maybe that's my ego talking. You know, Stuart Kellogg came to visit us in October.
1: Last winning CEO.
0: Yeah, with, with with a with a kind of a view to looking at. Well, if they can do it, surely anyone can do it. Um, various kind of people have, have emailed me over the years and called me, but I, I um, you know, I got a lot of what we do with our club from Matt Johnson at Reading. I modelled a lot of what we do on on what they do. Um, he's been a massive influence on me and, and as a consequence our program um i i did a presentation uh, at one of the ace meetings about three years ago to the ace coaches um on how to or how we not how to because there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat um how we have been successful in developing a a, a junior program and then as a consequence of that kind of the fundraising that we've been able to do, the sponsorship that we've been able to attract, all that kind of stuff so I talked about kind of how how we built this big program relatively big program in a relatively unfashionable in terms of basketball part of the country and and and, and I've seen some things that that people are doing that I I, I guess uh, may have come as a consequence of that presentation. Um, I also see people that have worked, at Ipswich at one stage or another either professionally or as a volunteer and take that or take some of what they learnt from us um, and, and are doing great things I mean Matt Matt Harbour um, I don't know how many people know that Matt Harbour played for me uh, and, and was my assistant for a couple of years and was very much my protege and, and um, in his early years at Loughborough would call me all the time and, and, and I would say you know Loughborough is very different to Ipswich <laughs> that's for sure but um, but, you know, there are certain kind of things in terms of building a club culture that I think that were taken there. Um, Adam Davies has, has had a huge influence over at Canterbury. Um, you know, you, you've got, uh, you know, Tom Sadler's doing some good things over now uh, with Colchester Basketball um, over in Essex. So that, that's kind of... There's definitely a legacy from people that have been in the programme. Um, I would welcome conversations with anyone who wants to start a a basketball club or develop their current basketball club um i'm not convinced the ipswich model would work in in big cities but i do think that there are pockets of uh you know pockets of talent dotted around the country that you know norwich for example there's not been loads happening in norwich and they've got an amazing basketball facility in norwich at, at, at uea um You know, if you can do it in Ipswich, you can do it in Norwich. You know, I would be very keen to, to sort of support people in developing these things. And um, yeah, my my phone's always on and my email's always on, so I'm happy to help people if they want to be helped. Yeah.
1: So if you if it was your job to uh, help. The UK, you know, in fact, I was actually having a conversation with someone the other day about uh, obviously we're doing all the selection for the Hootsfields, classic at the moment, and just talking about the depth and the lack of depth that we have. Like, especially when you're talking about national teams, you know, the moment you lose your best best players, like the drop off is pretty steep after that, and I think that's where we differ to a lot of other European countries where you know they lose a couple of their top guys, it's not the end of the world um, because they have other players that are very, very capable as well, and we just don't have the depth. So, if you were responsible for you know, helping England um, or the UK um, grow its base uh, of, of talented elite basketball players um, you know how, how would you look at it? how would you approach it would it be a case of uh, you know starting in the schools and going out from there or, or would you do something else
0: I I think you have to start in the schools but you have to start in the primary schools not the secondary schools I'm talking about getting into getting into the schools when these kids are uh, uh, haven't chosen their sport yet you know other than football you know no other sport really discourages multi-sport activity at a young age. So, um, I would be my, my thing would be get into as much primary school activity and and get just get as many kids bouncing a ball and associating bouncing a ball with enjoyment and fun, and and widening the base of the pyramid. One of the things as well is is you're gonna have the right personality working with those younger age groups. I think at the really young age groups you know i'm talking 10 year olds the inspiration is more important than the technical delivery and i know that will be an unpopular opinion but once a kid loves something they'll then buy into the technical technical side of things it's getting you know if we've got 300 kids playing basketball in Ipswich the percentage versus our population is pretty good compared with other areas of the country that would be my thing is if the solent model or the ipswich model I mean, solent do just as good a job as we do you know and 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 it's another part of the country where they are not able to just go right let, let's let's run a trial and there'll be 50 kids show up but you know you have to create the demand for that first so that would be my thing create a demand you know nationally and 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 you know, there's a million different ideas, but you I think you've got to get the right personalities in front of these kids to inspire them. And and the the two things that kids will be inspired by are someone's personality or someone's physical presence. We used to send Lee into primary schools, Lee Green, and he didn't have to be have a. He's a seven foot. just just so people that don't know. Who he is. Yeah, he, <laughs> and, and 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 built like you know, built built like a superhero. So he yeah you know, he'd go in in his GB tracksuit and I'd do all the talking. And Lee would just stand there and hand out T-shirts, but everyone wanted to, Lee's autograph, and everyone wanted to be like Lee. And that's the other thing you can do, is generate local profile. That doesn't have to be, um, and you, people. I've had people make fun of me because we make pro, we we make make players into kind of mini local celebrities. But then when you send that person into a school and they inspire thirty kids to play basketball, then that that's worked. And and don't we need to kind of put the put our success stories up on a pedestal for people to aspire to be. We have Harriet Wellham in Ipswich, who who is a complete inspiration to everybody in Ipswich. Now, she's not going to play in the WNBA, but in our programme, she is... You know, I, I would doubt that there is a more singular important role model in any programme in the country than Harriet is to the girls in Ipswich Basketball Club. But we've put her on that pedestal and we've built her her kind of image around that and and that's benefited her enormously. She now works in the game. So now we send her into primary schools and that inspires people and I think that you can, you get people saying, oh yeah, you shouldn't tell people they're too good or anything like that. no. We're trying to we're trying to grow the game.
1: One hundred percent. You know, obviously, I grew up in Eastbourne, which is very small as well. Um, and Brighton Bears was the local club growing up, which was forty five minute drive away. Uh, but I know as a, as a player, I had a fr- my friend's older brother, a guy named Sam Paculabo. He was kind of like the local legend. Uh, he was on the bench of the Bears when he was seventeen, and it was Bud Johnston as well. Uh, he was seventeen years old, and, and he was on the bench there. Um, and it was those were the guys that were like, we want to be like them. You know, uh, of course, you have your NBA inspirational role models as well. But um but I yeah, I, I think the the power of the the local role model uh, cannot be understated. Um and interestingly it's it's funny when you talk about sort of smaller rural areas, yeah there is sort of downsides. You know, you can't just put up a poster for a trial and loads of kids show up. Um but on the flip side I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast but uh the fact that you're local means that there's not as much going on, so it means that, you know, getting local press coverage for example becomes a lot easier than if you're in London. Um there's so many... My, my brother-in-law runs a triathlon in Eastbourne, uh, which every single year would get so much local support because they don't have a triathlon in Eastbourne. It's not something that happens a lot where, you know, with the Hooffields All Classic, we're just another basketball event in London. It's, it's very hard to get, you know, press, TV, newspapers, whoever down uh, to cover it. So there are all sorts of um, benefits to being small. Would you say that's that's fair?
0: Oh, um, absolutely. We, we You know, in in our neck of the woods, you've got us and got Town Football Club who just got relegated. So we're the local... Sporting Good News story um, that that we, we're incredible we don't have to fight for attention too much because what we're doing is legit and what we're doing is genuine and and, and to a degree very successful um, people want to write about us people want to write checks for us people want to come and watch us come and support us there's something very romantic about the local team doing well um, we don't have a uh, you know we, we have a rugby club we have a hockey club etc etc but you know our women's team won Suffolk Team of the Year, which we made a huge fuss about. And again, people sort of sent a couple of texts, you know, playing it down. I'm like, cool, but we got a sponsor out of that. You know, you know and, and it, it, it's, um, it's... Whatever your situation and you can turn it to your advantage. We, we love the fact that we're... You know, that, that there's nothing for 50 miles in any direction. I mean, our nearest city is London... Do, do you know what I mean? So, you, you know, in terms of we're self-sufficient, um, and and so you know, our under fourteen girls did a radio interview yesterday because they got got to the final force. How, how often is that happening around the country? That's great for basketball. That's great for the profile of basketball. And I believe that that can that can be replicated anywhere. Yeah. Do you uh,
1: in terms of the the promotion thing, like? Like I, you know, I see obviously I follow follow you guys on social media and stuff, and you know I see the amount of press coverage you get locally uh, all the time, doing interviews and um, and whether it's just game reports or photos in in, in the local papers. Um, is that something that you actively have to push to make happen? Like, how is that? Uh, like, I'm trying to think of it. You know, if I'm a club in an, in an area and I've never had press coverage before, and I want to grow my my audience and my fan base, and I want to try and get some local press coverage, is it something that requires? you know, real effort every single week. You've got to make a phone call to the journalists. You've got to put everything there for them. You've got to send them the photos. You've got to send them the reports so they can just reword it a little bit, give them a headline, and then they can run with it.
0: Um th- 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 I would say that you, you, you've you got to have a product that they want to write about, ultimately. Um, the product, in this case, being basketball. Um, but I would also say that um, new- newspapers, like, like we have a slot on a Tuesday in the local newspaper, but we have to get everything to them by one o'clock on a, on a Monday. So we have a press officer at Ipswich Basketball Club who's a volunteer. Um, and I think that that's you know, something I'll come back to is the importance of volunteers. Um, we have a press officer who gathers a short sentence sent on a WhatsApp group by every junior team, and it has to be sent by 10 o'clock on Sunday night, so the press officer, by 9 o'clock on Monday morning before he goes to work, has written the weekly wrap, and the re- weekly wrap goes to the local newspaper... And it goes to the local radio. So every week we're guaranteed that coverage. We're also guaranteed a page for our men and a page for our women. And that's been built up over time. But one of the things as well, um, and you might correct me on this, Sam, because you know, you're know you far more of an expert in this than I am, people will interview interesting people more than they'll write about interesting stories. So I got a phone call uh, when, when Iceland knocked England out of the 2016 European Championships I got a phone call from the radio to do an interview about football. I know nothing about football, but they knew that I'd be really opinionated, and they knew that I'd probably say something that a football expert wouldn't say, and then they could use that as a soundbite. And, and And I've said things, you know, in the newspaper bold, brash statements about this player is going to be the best player in the country. Watch! I remember telling people, watch Lee Green, and he might play in the twenty twelve Olympics, and and they they hung on to that and followed Lee's career. Now you know in another lifetime lee might have done that it's not that unrealistic of a statement you know i i talk about players junior players in our program at the moment and we're we're fortunate to have several that i think are you know, real top end prospects and then people want to follow them and write about them and write about their journey and i think um you do have to build that up over time but you've got to you've got to be of interest and you know, one of the things that lloyd gardner gives me grief about all the time very dear friend is how I self-promote and self-promote and self-promote. And it's, it's ironically, anyone who knows me personally knows, I'm actually trying to get to the point where I don't have to self-promote, <laughs> that someone else will promote us. Um, but I just believe if, you know, if... I'm, I remember Aaron Mosley rolling his ankle in an under 18s game and it being on the back page in like 2008, they wrote a back page story about an under-18 player. I think we are in the conference at the time. He's injured, he's the captain, they've got a big game coming up. But, you know, I was like, well, Aaron's going to be a good player. He's going to be a good senior player, might go to the States, yada, yada, yada. And um, they, they go with it because it's of interest because we've become interesting. Um, but I suppose I just got to talk so much, Sam. I think people <laughs> ring me when they need a story.
1: <laughs> the uh, In terms of the press coverage and the media coverage, how much does that play a role in terms of the sponsorship that you're able to raise? You know, like... I'd be, it'd be quite interesting to talk about fundraising. I, you know, I'm not asking you to necessarily give figures, though. I'd be very interested in if you would be willing to give figures. I know we've spoken privately about sort of money that you've raised for the club and stuff, but um, you know, when you talk about sort of making it sustainable, you know, having sponsorship, like I said, you know, the fact that you've shown up in a car outside that's blue branded with Ipswich Basketball over it as part of one of the sponsorship agreements you have with a local car vendor or or whatever, like, you know, how, how are you doing that?
0: Um. Part of it comes back to this sort of lack of local competition. I would think, I, th- I think we're a good news story, Sam, and I, and I think that um, we're we're very active on social media. We're very visible in the community. You know, we're we're I'm very visible in the Ipswich community. Like when I was working with Carl Brown, he, he used to he used to give me so much stick about like if we went out for dinner, we'd get a discount because the Ipswich basketball guys are here. And and he, he used to he used to say, the BBL guys don't get this. Um, and I was like, well, that ain't my fault. Um, the, 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 the sponsorship, some sponsors' agenda is that they have a corporate social responsibility budget that they have to spend uh, and they have to be seen to invest in the community. So what you do is you just, you, you go and, what you don't do is write an email. What you do is you go, you go and knock on their door or you go to a business breakfast, and I mean, I go to business breakfast and do presentations about our program, and I tell, I give, I give case studies on success stories. So, I did a, I did a whole presentation to a a a, a corporate event, um, and I talked about Veron, Veronese, and I talked about kid from from Ipswich. This has been his journey, and at the time, I was like, and now, and now he lives in Rome, and this weekend he played against Real Madrid. And, and and without investment from local businesses, those things are not possible. And of course, i got a big round of applause and about three other businesses then come up to you and say, we'll have some of that, because we like that speech and we like that story. You get other people that want to, you know, they're very shrewd business people, so we have a great relationship with Turner's Hyundai, who are our principal sponsor. Um, I drive around in a branded Turner's Hyundai car, which works for me, but he's sold like 50, cars to members of our club so you know it's a very much two-way relationship yeah. if you go to copleston on a saturday when there's a senior game it's like a hyundai showroom <laughs> it's hilarious Um but that was a mutually beneficial arrangement we, we have um sponsors we, we do little things like we do player sponsorship packages so we'll say Rather than our players paying to play for the club, I'm talking about senior players, it costs X amount of £1,000 to run a senior team, of which we're going to hold the players accountable to raise three grand off. So it costs 200, 300 quid to sponsor a player. It might be 300 quid to sponsor Harriet Wellham. It might be 150 quid to sponsor a less high-profile player. And people are fighting over them. Like we, We've had bidding wars. For, for players player sponsorship. It's hilarious. Because locally we've made them high profile and they've yeah. earned that profile. So um I mean when we were in one point when we were in division two with our men's team and we had Greenan and Sadler and, and, and Josh Johnson and those guys, we, we raised between fundraising and corporate investment, we had twenty five grand a year, which I was told was more than than, than G B were getting <laughs> in terms of um Doesn't surprise me. Um in, in terms of investment. Um, and we invested a lot of that into the junior program. We invested a lot of that into coaching. We invested some of it on the players. Yeah. Um, so it can be done, um, but again, it's a bit like going into those primary schools and having that personality to inspire people. You know, I'm I'm very good friends with some of our sponsors as a consequence of them sponsoring us. I'll go and speak at their events. I'll go and, you know, high and I hosted um, a cricket. A celebrity cricket match, and I was a VIP at this thing. And I'm sitting there with Monty Panesar, the cricketer, you know, and having lunch with Monty Panesar, <laughs> you know, and, and it's great, but it's um, it's beneficial for Turner's High Hyundai to sit there and say, now Nick's from the basketball club that we sponsor, and they've got X amount of internationals, and they've got all these kids that have played in the states, and you know, you, you tell the story, and it's very true about the kind of the life changing things that have happened as a consequence of playing basketball and being part of the basketball club um and so it's um you know in our world we can't it's just too small for you to to lie and 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 kind of to 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 say, sell something that's not true because people talk and you know the community's so small so we're just quite genuine and quite legit and we get we've had 350 people in Coppleston which is a school gym for a Division Two men's game, we had a Division Two women's playoff game last year with two hundred and fifty people in beating drums and climbing up the climbing wall because they can't see the cook you know, it's, it's nuts.
1: Even when I remember when you did you hosted the under twenties in two thousand and thirteen. I think it was yeah two thousand um, and thirteen. Uh, yeah, and yeah, like you've managed to bring out like a huge crowd and for the under twenties, you know they're not. Especially if they're playing games here, which is rare anyway, but if they're playing games here, they're not playing in front of a crowd, you know. And, the, you know, you brought out, I don't even know how many people were there, but it, the stands were full, it was,
0: it was a packed gym. I think we had 400 people in there, because I remember the the, the site manager telling us that we'd broken the fire safety regulations.
1: Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, it's awesome, it does show kind of what's, what's possible. I think in some level it's just about being intentional about what you're trying to do, and actually... Looking at where you're trying to get to and how to really do it, rather than just going through the motions. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have a basketball club. This, you know. Mm. But then on the, on the flip side of that, do, the facilities thing. Do you feel like that's really holding you back in terms of where you, how much you can grow as a club? Because ultimately, you can only sell a certain amount of tickets because you're going to break those health and safety regulations. You know, so if you want to go into Division One or you know, I don't know whether you've got BBL WB aspirations. it'd be interesting to talk about that, maybe. But um, but yeah, like, how limited are you by the size of your gym?
0: Very. I mean, I do a summer camp every year. Last year, we had 118 kids <laughs> in the one gym. In, in the gym, and uh, so we, we we but we have a second gym, but it's like one of those tiny little school gyms where you can you, you can shoot a three, but you're in the other half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know. Um, so we, I'll do my summer camp, and we, we we buy some portable hoops and we put them outside, and we turn the dance studio into like a. We, it, I mean, the funny thing is our summer camp is like. Ethan Price and Esther Little this summer, are like can't wait for summer camp. I'm like, you yeah, haven't you outgrown that yet? <laughs> no, no, it's the best week of the year because we 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 have them. They have to run from this place to that place, and it's just you know they're they're all over the school site basically on this basketball camp. But it does hold you back in terms of um, what you can do developmentally. I I I kind of feel that we get punished locally because we're so successful with the means that we have no one's kind of there thinking right let's let's help Ipswich. Let let's do do something for them because i i'm kind of of the opinion of if we had a double court i'm not really interested in an arena if we got an arena great but but you know right now we're a division two men's team and a division one women's team i'm not interested in filling two and a half thousand seats what i'm interested in is having two courts so i can have two teams practice at the same time or instead of having 40 kids in a community session i can have 80 and instead of having 118 kids on a a a summer camp and capping it i can have 250 kids and and do do you know what i mean and um you know at the high level for the academy you know having uh girls and guys practicing you know instead of having girls go for an hour and a half and then the boys go for an hour and a half maybe you practice at the same time because you've got a double court and your shooting sessions can be of a higher quality because you're not on two rims you're on four or whatever um so yes, it does hold us back, but I do think that people sometimes look at us and go, but they're doing all right, so we'll focus on somewhere where the need is greater. Whereas I think that, you know, if we had a, like I say, just a double I, I, My dream is that something like the facility they have at Oakland, I think is, I think it's gorgeous and it's exactly what we want. Um, but I also get very frustrated when people talk about facilities and say that that's the starting point to be able to run a programme. You, you, You can... You, you can you can run a program on an outdoor court if if the people doing it are good at it. Yeah, <clears> hundred percent.
1: <throat> I always said that the big the big piece I did on facilities. I, I think I made the point at the end that is ultimately yeah, of course it's a big part of of the growth of the sport. But really, uh, if you don't have the right people sort of managing that facility, running activities out the facility, it's not going to make a mm. one or two of difference. Um, have you had conversations with the local council or anyone about trying to make a double court anywhere? Like, is there space? Like, what?
0: Well, I think it's the. Um, Going back to the kind of conversations about the local press, probably the single biggest and most often asked question is, "What do you need? What do you need?" And it is, it is, I bang my head against a brick wall with it. We've had various meetings with the council over the years, with Basketball England, with Sport England. Um, you know, we've talked about just knocking the wall down in Coppleston, just extending the gym, and you know, and, and the cost of that is, you know, dropping the ocean compared with some of the the, the, the grants that are being handed out. Um, there's an, an initiative uh coming along in in the local area in the next eighteen months that we're hoping to kind of uh you know, kind of put i'm going push myself into that you know that conversation and get myself into those meetings um but we we, we you know that that's probably the the weakest part of my skill set is the the understanding of of bid writing and the politics behind it I'm not very political. <laughs>
1: Have you had a conversation with Pete Griffiths a Basketball England yeah. about this stuff? Pete's what does he, he say? Because he's, he's a really good guy. He's awesome. Knows his uh, stuff.
0: Uh, Pete's been down a couple of times um, and, and kind of looked at what we could potentially do and, and given us some thoughts and ideas. But you know, the one thing they don't have, as everybody knows, is they don't, they don't have uh, uh, the money to, to support. And uh, I think the two places that uh, Pete was telling me that um, just are very high on everyone's kind of list of people to help are Ipswich and um, Doncaster. Uh, with what with, with what Bob's doing up, up there in terms of just number of people playing our sport.
1: Do you see it happening, or do you think it's just a you know a long shot in the dark that isn't going to happen anytime soon?
0: Um, I think it will happen. Uh, I think it'll probably happen like the week before I retire. Or like <laughs> that. <It'd> be like, <laughs> you know that be the the, the the frustrating thing. I mean, I, I, it's got to be very high on our priority list. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to spend too much time kind of whining about it. I've got to get on with my job, and I've got a lot of people under under my watch that I've got to look after, and I'm not going to, you know, like a lot of th- I think a lot of people spend a lot of time whining and making excuses. Like, we've got, we've got a nice court. Our court's lovely. We just need a, another one next to it. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a priority, but it's not as important as teaching kids to play basketball.
1: In terms of the aspirations for the club, you know, I'm assuming you've tried to be in Division One before with the men, right? And there was, oh, I'm sure there was some stuff around it. Where <laughs> it, I'm sure there was. Remind me what happened. With so
0: this. we we finished third. Huddersfield finished second. Derby won it. Then uh, uh, I think Bristol was still in Division One at that point. Bristol were going to the BBL, so there was an additional yeah. space available. But instead of relegating, so instead of relegating two teams in Division One and putting three up. They only relegated one from Division One and then put two up, but then add insult to injury, Huddersfield folded.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Huddersfield right.
0: folded, so I was in like, all right, so we're in Division One. Are you, are you come on, you got to put us up.
1: And that was um, when you had the team, right? That was when you had this we, good, we, good we team. We were stacked. Yeah. We
0: were absolutely stacked. And uh, but so were Huddersfield and Derby. So like we we, we missed out on promotion by one game, and um, we had Josh Johnson, Lee Green, Tommy Sadler, Aaron Mosley, uh, Luke Maskell, right? A, a young Luke Maskell, right? A yeah. young Sam Newman, uh, Dylan Costello. Um, we we even had like a 15 a year old Caleb Fuller training with that team. You know, it, it was a it's the best men's team we've ever had, and and th- that'd have been a very good Division One team because you know, Greenan and Sadler, in particular, were two legit bigs that could have played at a very um, high level.
1: Now, when you look at the team, like. Is the intention with the men to get to Division One? You know, you think you, Division Two is where you need to stay. Like,
0: I think Division Two is a really good league for EABL teams. I think, with the exception of probably Barking uh, and and Charnwood, no one's got anyone that shouldn't be playing in Division Two. You know, it's, it's a very competitive league with some really really good players. Um, it's been diluted slightly since the um, the visa rules came in so you less teams have kind of import players um our kind of agenda with our men's teams changed slightly in that um we you know we fell on our feet tom was employed by the academy so he was naturally going to play for ipswich and lee was had been playing in france and decided he didn't like that wanted to be um wanted to be at home lee's a home home bird at heart he always says there's no place like home he always says it so um yeah, you know, we had kind of these two pro level players that we could build around, but obviously circumstances changed with Tom. Tom's moved on and and, and I stopped coaching the men and and Lee moved on as well. And Lee's essentially now a pro. Um so right now I, I think having uh, what whether they're in division two or division one is not as important as, you know, our best kids are getting that opportunity to play at the men's level. We still get that nice big crowd and we still have the local profile. We're not gonna have quite the same profile when you don't have those two kind of yeah. mini celebrities playing for your yeah. for your team, but for, for guys like Ethan Price and Verran and Ben Winter, uh, you know, and a, a, a kind of a handful of senior guys that have played at a decent level. I think I don't know whether we want to be in Division One. If we got there, I'd be fine, and and we'd be very competitive and we'd do what we can. But what we don't want to do is spend loads of money on players. That money could be being invested in the development of the program, on coaching, on on. On other things, so I think um, a more realistic goal for us is whether we whether we want to explore WBBL because you could probably compete in the WBBL with a similar budget to what our men's team used to run on. Um, whereas, you know, as brutal as it is and as as, as wrong as it is, m- you know, m- male players recruiting men are they're expensive.
1: The uh, so do you think longer term? We're not likely to see it switch ever going to the BBL. Is that not a long, long-term well, aspiration? But the WBBL is something that is more likely.
0: Yeah, I, I, right now I would think that, but that's yeah. also in part because we are in a uh, bit of a golden era of young female players in our right. programme. Yeah, of course. Um, I think you know when I sit down in front of corporate sponsors and when I sit down in front of people and have meetings about facilities, one of the things I'll say is, Our track record as a program is very, very good in terms of kind of meeting targets and goals. And if 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 we had a facility, then that would give us kind of the motivation to talk about, you know, having a professional team uh, in the town. But you know, it's chicken and egg, really. You know, we're a very competitive men's team, and our Division One women's team. You know, the two years since we relaunched the women's program, we've we've had a bit of a fairy tale, to be honest, and. Um, you know, the average age on that team is seventeen at the moment. So, who knows what who knows what the future holds.
1: Obviously, last year twenty eighteen was a very special year for the women's program. Um, for those that don't know, can you kind of uh, recap that that season for us and kind of and what you did?
0: <laughs> well, we we we, uh, we relaunched the women's program. So, I'd coached the men for six years, um, and I decided I needed a, a change. Um, and I'd been coaching uh, the girls in the Weabl. Um, but we'd always only had six or seven girls in the WABL team and, uh, and I decided, I, I you know, let, let's enter the women and we applied to go straight into Division 1 and understandably we were told, you know, you've got to go in at the bottom league, Nick, you can't, can't all these other teams are playing for years, you can't just skip them all. Um, so we played in Division 2 and our team was, you know, very talented team, very young team, but very talented team um, and we went undefeated in Division 2, which... I wouldn't say we were expecting to go undefeated. We were, expect, we were expecting to be, we were expecting to get promoted. Um, we had, I think, six or seven national teams players, so I'd have, should have got fired if we didn't. To be honest, uh, so we won the Division Two, uh, but we went undefeated and we won the playoffs. Um, but the kind of the the special thing is that we not only did we win the national cup, but in order to win the national cup, we had we seemed to draw a Division One team away in every round. And so we, we, we beat Loughborough away and then we beat Reading away and then we beat Bristol away and then we played Essex in the final, which was uh, quite an occasion. Um, and we were down, I think, 17 at one point and we fought all the way back and, and we, we won it. So we, we finished the season 23-0 and uh, and I've not been shy in kind of reminding people that we did it with a team without an import player. We didn't have one girl that wasn't from our junior programme uh, the average age on that team was 17 or 18 years old. Like I say, every single one of them was a product of that. They, they'd all played under 14s. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a crazy achievement, and uh, it's an achievement that I don't think many people can relate to. If I'm honest, Jackson does. Jackson and I talk about it all the time. The amount of times when I mean Jackson
1: Gibbons at uh, City London Academy. Yeah,
0: Jack, Jackson and I talk talk all the time about um, people don't know, people don't understand the, what went into that. In, in the same way that he had that sort of historic season the year before. Um, and it's that that season was the best best thing I've ever done in my career because it kind of brought together everything I'd worked for and the programme I'd worked for for God knows how many years. It kind of put it all together. And, and yeah, I, I could talk about that for hours, Sam, because <laughs> people will achieve greater things than that in terms of higher-level yeah. things. But whether they'll have feel the sense of satisfaction and pride that, that I and our programme feels about doing something like that was um, qu- quite a thrill.
1: I did want to talk about women's basketball as a whole as well. You know, um, Obviously prior to I don't know when, was it three years ago? Two, three years ago when you took over the EABL team and then sort of started. Obviously, you were involved with women's basketball from a club sort of senior management level beforehand, but actually getting involved sort of in the trenches, so to speak, coaching the teams um, was a big switch for you, I assume. Uh, And in that time, you've obviously sort of probably in a position that I'm in now where it's like I I know a lot considerably more about male basketball than I do about female basketball. Um, Kind of what have been the the revelations for you, like sort of the surprises maybe coming into it that, that you weren't expecting um, or things that, you know, you look at it because clearly women's basketball in this country is, you know, a, a worse shape than, than men's basketball. Um, yeah, what do you think are the sort of the, the crux of the issues and, uh, yeah, the, the biggest things that you found sort of making that transition?
0: Um, it's kind of difficult because, again, we've always been self-sufficient. I think, it's um, a great question. I mean, I, I do think that uh women's basketball in particular is so in particular is so fragile in terms of uh the number of people that are invested in it the number of programs that are producing players consistently uh, and kind of the pathway and the exit routes so kind of the, the one of the things that i i realized with women's basketball is it's it's there's a lot of politics um there's a lot of people that have been doing it for a very long time that have been doing it very well and had a great deal of success um you know very very opinionated and rightly so um and then you've got kind of new people that have got involved and, and 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 are doing great things um developing players recruiting players giving players opportunities um and 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 kind of there just seems to be a little bit of a lack of kind of on I don't want to say the working together thing because everyone in basketball talks about working together, and I've not met anyone yet that knows what working together means. Um, In the women's game, I think it's 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 kind of fragile. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm sure lots of people are expecting me to talk about this, but the you know, in the academy setup, you've got a situation where um, you've got kind of most academies have only got seven or eight players, of which six or seven are legit elite level under 19 players and then you've got a couple with certainly one with 20 plus kids and um, I know that there's varying opinions on whether that's healthy or not Um, the under 18 women's national league we didn't even bother entering a team this year because we said well all our under 18s plan the WEABL and majority of them play division one anyway so we're not going to play under 18s and only play with six all season and that kind of thing so there's just there's not enough girls playing, Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's for sure. Um, but there are people that are far more experienced and far more knowledgeable than me that could probably answer those questions better than I can. I mean, the thing that just leaps out to me at the moment is um, kind of that you've got a great programme like Manchester, a great programme like Sheffield, struggling to field academy teams. And I think our sport would be better served if where those hotbeds of female basketball talent are were were able to continue to grow their local program.
1: Why is it that you think the the base is so small of female basketball players? Like, why do you think girls in this country just, I don't know, don't pick up a ball as much as as boys?
0: Uh, I, is is I don't know what the statistics are. Is that the same in every sport? Uh, is that or is that about, I mean, are we just being very narrow minded and looking at that from a basketball perspective? Yeah. Um, the opportunities aren't the same. Yeah. Um, profile isn't the same. I mean, what you're doing with the Hoops All-Star Classic, having a girls' game, is is I think is a, um, a a kind of massive checkpoint in in basketball in this country. I'm really I'm not kissing your ass. I'm I'm being I serious. I appreciate that. I, I'm serious. Like I've got uh, one of uh, the more talented girls this country's had in a, in, a, in a while, and and I know she's jumping up and down at this opportunity, and and um, I think the highest-profile junior player in this country right now, male or female, is a girl, and she's unfortunately I've had to coach against her a few times this year and been on the receiving end of of just how wonderful a basketball player she is, Holly Winterburn. Yeah, and 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 I think that um, you know what you're doing is going to give these girls profile and give women's game profile and may inspire other girls. It kind of goes back to my community theory that you know. Are, th- are we being are we being inspired? Are we sending inspirational people in to work with the girls? Are the girls being valued as much as the boys? I don't know the figures and the facts. I hear horror stories about the amount of money that's invested in the girls' game. Um, you know, the, the women just won a medal at the Commonwealth Games, so that you know that's something that we need to kind of pin up yeah. somewhere and say, you know, go and go and be like them. Um, so
1: the interesting thing about all of this for me is that uh, yeah, comparatively contextually the women f- out of the UK perform better than the men we've got more women playing at high level schools uh, in the states the division one schools or whatever we've got more well the GB women's team uh, you know are performing better at um an international level uh you like you just said you've got the England girls team win- winning the Commonwealth Games medal so so it's like the success is there but then it's not translating to having it's like the the very best of the base are very good but there just isn't a big enough base Mm. you know Um, and yeah, like I said I don't know what the I don't know what the solution is but I know that you know I've obviously floated I'm trying to do this big article about women's basketball at the moment I've spoken to a number of different people um, about the game here and uh, and I don't know if I've necessarily got answers all I know is that from everyone I speak to whose opinions I respect massively it's just an absolute state yeah
0: yeah. I mean, I I don't have the answers either. I, I I'm I know that like for example our under fourteen girls coach, he's he's awesome. He's a volunteer, very successful guy, very intelligent guy, volunteer basketball coach, it costs him money to coach for us. His daughter plays on the team. But he is completely and utterly inspired. Fifteen girls are under fourteens. The interesting thing will be if all fifteen of them are still playing when they're under 16s that will be for me ask me in two years time this same question yeah. because I think that will be a really interesting case study for us as a club yeah. Is he He couldn't really be doing a better job uh, again inspiration before tactical technical but he's very good tactically and technically as well um, and, uh, how many of those girls are still playing under 16s how many of those girls then come to our academy how many of those girls then make the transition into senior basketball university basketball or beyond that will be for me where i can look at it and go well it worked in ipswich (laughs) you know and i can do the whole well if we can do it everyone else can do it kind of speech Um, i'm curious as to how many programs put their better coaches at the younger age groups as well Um, because boys will pick up a ball and go and play on the park girls tend not to do that as much
1: yeah it's fascinating i was talking with jackson gibbons about this stuff and he was just saying, you know, sometimes he actually has to remind the girls to go and play, like, where it's just, you know, it's very different to the boys, like...
0: Well, Ma- Michael Ball told me something fascinating years ago. He said that he paid for a subscription for the players for to, to watch WNBA. He's like, because you don't watch basketball, you yeah. know. You know, and it was really interesting that, he, you know, it's, it's it's not a new problem. It's not a new problem that we're having in our sport. Yes, yeah. um, You know what 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 do you know about the game you know who's your favourite team who's your favourite player because with boys you can say to a boy whether it's good advice or bad advice go and practice that stuff that James Harden does and they will they might back practice it wrong you know or, or whatever but that's not necessarily as easy on the yeah, girls side yeah,
1: yeah 100%
0: but but the other thing is this and, and I know Jackson gave the analogy of holding um yeah Older than by the scruff of the neck. there's a brilliant analogy. And I always, mine's more brutal than that. Mine is always, when coaching guys, you spend 90% of your time coaching boys telling them that they're not as good as they think they are. <laughs> 90% of your time coaching girls is spent telling them they are better than they think they are. And so that, that that's a major element of
1: it. Yeah. When you talk about um, the top players that have come through your program, you know, maybe ones that, that, that you perf- personally enjoy coaching the most or being around the most, uh, but then also like the elite of the elite, um, you know who are the ones that you you'd like to talk about as the examples?
0: Um, I mean, I, I, I've loved coaching every kid. Um, in terms of the best kid, best kids, most valuable, best and most valuable are two very different things. Um, play I've got players that I could talk about that I think that will go the furthest. I mean, I think I think Caleb Fuller's is going to go um, a very, very long way. But you he's currently at UC Davis. I, yeah, and 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 uh, you know I, I'll be very quick to point out that Caleb. Uh, did a year with Barking Abbey, and that progressed him enormously. After Caleb was the first kid I ever felt uh, outgrew our program, if, if truth be told. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, that other people will will agree with that. Um, you know, and that's not to knock our program. Yeah. Uh, he was he was significantly better than any of the other boys of his generation. Yeah. So we didn't have kind of other guys around him um, of the same level. Uh, I've always got a very Special place in my heart for Lee Greenan, purely because um, I kind of think he was the the trailblazer as a player for us. Because lots of things happened, a lot of opportunities opened up for me because I had Lee. You know, a lot, a lot of high level coaches, both in the UK and overseas, wanted to be my friend because I had this seven footer yeah. um, who plays for me. Um, so you know, Lee. Uh, you know, Lee is now playing at the level where everyone wanted him to be at when he was 21. People very quick to forget or don't know that Lee didn't take basketball seriously till he was 15. So when he was having, you know, European scouts and NCAA Division One scouts ringing him up in the middle of the night and people calling his mum, and, and he'd only been playing a couple of weeks. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, Lee, Lee's... A, Lee's uh, one of the players that I'm kind of very fond of. There's, there's 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 almost too many to mention because I don't want to offend people. I'm, I'm incredibly um, attached to uh, some of the girls that we won the cup with, um, and that is in part for uh, kind of off court experiences and journeys that that you know life changing stuff that happens, which I won't you know, go into graphic detail about, but. You know, I'm a lot more than a basketball coach to some of these these players. I mean, Harriet Wellham is kind of our our poster girl right now in terms of our program, and she's she's just a uh, an awesome human being and, 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 a, and a, a phenomenal player. And she's now a coach, and she's you know I think she's going to be a great servant to our sport. Um, you know, most talented kid I've ever coached from Ipswich is probably Esther Little. You know, and, and she's probably got the highest ceiling. She has got two more years of you now, right? She's she just reclassified. Um, but it's an incredibly dangerous thing to put that kind of pressure on a seventeen-year-old girl or boy. Ethan Price has got a lot of potential. Uh, no one knew about him except for you, Sam, a year ago. <laughs> um, Do you know what the funny thing is?
1: I always say to you, like, obviously, we had a spot, and I was speaking to you, and you and you were just like, you have to put him in. Like he's not on any radar. He hasn't been. He, I think he'd been on a national team long list, but hadn't quite made it to camp or something, and then kind of dropped off the national team. It was like if you put him in, you will be the first. And I was just like, let's do it. And obviously, you put him in. He did. He did well in the game. And obviously, he's very athletic. And then this year, he's just had his breakout year. And I'm like, actually, makes me look pretty smart. A little they know, I've got no clue. And it's just all you. <laughs> but I appreciate that. No. no,
0: I mean, if you see him working on a daily basis, Ethan and Esther, you see them work. I see them every day, and and both of them do stuff. I mean, Esther does stuff that I've never seen a girl do before, and that that's, um, you know, she's which is really exciting to coach. When you've yeah. got a girl coaching and you're like, right, in six months' time, we want you to dunk that. <laughs> you know, it, it's pretty cool. Um, Varon's very exciting. There's, there's just so many of them. Ashley Pink, who's out now in Barry University in yeah. the States. Um, you know, it's it's one of the debates we have in the office all the time. What's your, what's your all-time starting five coach? Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, but if, you, if, you, if I had one game of all the kids I've ever coached and someone said, right, gun to your head, you know game game for your life there's no way i'm taking anyone other than harriet Wellham
1: <laughs> nice there was two things that you said that i wanted to pick up on that i quickly wrote down um one was i did want to talk about big kids because uh you know it seems like again we're talking about a small small town uh but you seem to be able to find these massive kids <laughs> Uh, and you know everyone needs bigs, right? It's, say, it's, it's always the way it's like. Guards are a dime a dozen, but to find bigs, uh, are much more difficult. Um, and I remember we had a conversation about years ago on the phone, and I can't, I can't remember exactly what you said, but you said something along the lines of, "I'll just be walking around in the supermarket, and if there's a kid that's big, I'll just go out to him and be like have you ever played basketball before?' And you try and get him in the club. So kind of like, yeah, like, why do you think you've been able to find, you know, a lot of um, you know, very well big kids that you've then obviously turned into to basketball talents?
0: Big kids get typecasted. Uh, particularly in primary school, if I had a pound for every time a PE teacher said, i will like, say, oh, that, that kid's big. He could play or she could play. Uh, yeah, but the, you know, not very coordinated. And I'm like, oh, I could strangle that teacher. I'm like, do you know what it's like to be bigger than everybody else and self-conscious? And the assumption that big people are, are more confident is is a myth. Big people, a lot of the time, are more self-aware, more more nervous, more anxious, um, so in in the early days, my thing was, um, we kind of launched this initiative, and it was called Don't Slouch. And it, the idea was, big kids get uh, taken for granted, pointed at, laughed at, talked about, bullied for want of a better phrase, um, for being big. And basketball, and a basketball court can be a place where they can share their size with other giants, and uh goes back to kind of that inspiration uh make them feel good about themselves and you know it's genuine it's real and I, it helps because I'm 6'5 so I I can you know and I'm not skinny so I, I walk into a room and people tend to notice that I'm there um and so if I'm if I'm in a school setting um and and and, and I see a big kid I'll I'll invite them to the center of excellence which we have which is an under 10 session regardless of whether they can barely walk and i'll say to them you've got a gift you've got a gift right being big it's a gift trust me and i get away with that because i'm big so i'm like trust me come and give basketball a try i've never played basketball before it doesn't matter come come and give it a try and then i'll be like here's a letter give it to your family I'll speak to the teacher. This kid, I'm, I'm telling you, I've done this a million times. I want this kid to come and try and play basketball, and they come to basketball, and you make them realise that they're important. But what you also do is you, in our case, we're able to introduce them to an Ethan, or a, a Lee, or a Dylan Johns, these giant six ten plus guys, or the girls. This is Maya Price. She's six foot two. This is Esther. She's six foot two. Do you know what I mean? people look at them funny because they're big but she, she's got a great breton tracksuit. you know you know so that's one thing that we do we make them you know the old turn a, a negative into a positive the other thing is i have literally walked through morrison's and seen a massive kid and and I've course i'm like excuse me i said this is like going to be the weirdest part of your day but i'm a basketball coach and you look like you could be a basketball player if you ever try playing basketball and they'll say, no, look, here's my card, here's my number. Look, I'm not, you know, there's, there's no ulterior motive here for yeah, me. Yeah. And I've had kids show up. Dylan Johns came through the door because he thought that there was a rugby session. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's basketball, but you're not leaving. You, you know, and, and he ended up having a, a, a you know, a Division One college career, played for the national teams, played professionally. And... um yeah, I, I just think it's. If you're in the primary schools, you're in the lower school. You, you know, it's just seeking them out. I was walking through Copleston in September, and there's a, there was a big girl in the corridor, and, and I'm, I was like, "You basketball?" They're like, "Never played." I say, "You do now," <laughs> you, you know, and and and, it, it's I don't know. It's 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 something that I mean, I get a lot of stick for again. The, the, you know, I must be the, the 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 soil down in Suffolk, all these giants that you find, but. Listen, what we've always been able to do is, whether they're tall or athletic, excuse me, or they're just, uh, you know, skilled, what we've always had a knack for is if we do have a kid that we think can go far, we do a really good job with them. And we, we make them a priority. And I've I I've got every single kid's name in our programme, community kid, like 800 names, and I've got flagged up which ones are I, on my radar. And I've got them as young as nine which ones I okay this kid's going to be this big or we think this kid's yeah. going to be this good and 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 we do prioritize the kids that who whose life could be altered by yeah. our sport i mean i think the I kind of probably sums up the big story but also the 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 um the kind of life changing stuff that we try to do in our sport There's one of the big kids we had was a kid called Lawrence Watcham who you may remember and Lawrence was uh, we found him in, I got a phone call from Jacob Swift, who was one of my former players, who was doing work experience at a uh, a, a special school for kids with behaviour problems. And and he goes, Nick, there's a kid here who uh, is bigger than you. And I said, oh, how old is he? He said, he's 11. <laughs> and I'm I was, I was like, oh, you're joking. He said, no, he's 11. He's massive. And I said, right. And I go, what it takes, you get into our game this weekend, kid walks in, He's like 6'7", but about 23 stone. He's just a giant, like a professional wrestler. I think I know who you mean. Well, yeah. if you, like, We published a couple of weeks ago a video of our under-13 national title, and he's on there. And he's just this humongous kid. And Lawrence ended up in mainstream education. He got in shape, got, grew to 6'11", and played for the national team because of basketball. So going back to kind of your question about the success story, he's probably our greatest success story, because when I'm dead and gone and I'm standing at the pearly gates, and he, if there is someone there who says justify coming in, it can be because we won.
1: Yeah.
0: The uh, Do you
1: think that the country could benefit from some? Sort of nationwide talent ID based on physical attributes, you know, because I'm sure they, they used to do something like that, didn't they? Tall like and the talented, because talent, that's how Zach Wells was found. Like, he was a rower, wasn't he? Yeah, a, a I was, I think a boxer, so. was he a boxer? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there was
0: a rower as well. I'm not trying to think, but like,
1: surely you could, surely it would be possible, it would be within the realms of possibility for the federation, uh, you know, affiliated with Sportingland or whatever, to go into sc- primary schools and be like, you know, obviously there are some kids that are late, you know, have suddenly have a growth spurt that you can't predict, but there's some that are sh- clearly showing that they're going to be huge at a young age. And, you know, you get them into basketball sort of 10, 11 years old like I, I feel like that would potentially change a lot and it should be doable it's very
0: doable because yeah. again we've done it so you, you you the don't slouch initiative could easily be formalized and rolled out nationally yeah. I mean, it, it could easily and it's just an anti-bullying campaign isn't it what kids get bullied for all sorts of reasons including being tall or bigger than everybody else yeah. let's give those kids an outlet. Yeah, you, do, do you know what I mean? I, I, I think, I'd, and I'd, I'd lead it. I'd, yeah. I'd lead that. If someone wants to come forward and say, oh, you know, yeah, w- what, what's it going to take? I'll, I'll drive the length of the country to go to a meeting to, to, to do that because, even if, even if, even if it produces one good basketball player, it's going to save a hell of a lot of people's self esteem, and yeah, that's yeah. really important.
1: Yeah. The other thing I, w- I did want to talk about very briefly was. Uh, letting players go for a uh, you know for a third year to another academy and stuff and obviously that is something that um well we hear all the time you know people want to hold on to their players people don't want to let let guys go onto to, to other programs and stuff and um you know how how do you feel about that like the state of things in this country with kind of i guess programs holding on to players you know maybe in a situation where they're not going to develop as well because they're maybe not having opportunities to play senior level or, or whatever um, and, and allowing them to go on to other places. Like I think one of the analogies uh, as people always bring up to me is like football, you know, in, in, in football, if you're a small community club or whatever and someone signs of Arsenal, everyone celebrates it. Oh, good job, good job. But in this country, it's very much like, oh, no, no, we, with basketball, we want to keep them um, so that we can take the credit for them. They've come through our program. Don't want to let them go on to somewhere where they might be in a better situation to develop
0: it's a very It's a minefield, um, obviously you know we all know that Caleb went and did a, a third year at barking, and for those those that are close to the situation we'll, we'll, we'll know that that Lloyd and I are very very good friends, yeah. so there's no kind of going behind anyone's back. There was none of that. Um, but when Caleb first came and spoke to me about it, I didn't take it very well, and, I, and I'll admit that, and, and Caleb and I have only spoken briefly about it. Um, I didn't take it very well because I got a very big ego. And, uh, but at least I'm big enough to admit it because I think every coach has that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it. Um, because it was a kick in the teeth at the time because you're like, man, you've been with me since you were nine or ten years old. We're going to be really bad if you're not here. Um, uh, but then uh, you know once I kind of got over the that initial emotional adrenaline rush, I was like, yeah, yeah, he he's he's got to go. Uh, it's a great situation for him, and it, he he was proved absolutely right. Um. But there is more to that situation as a generic situation. The, the Caleb thing is, is um, you know, a, an example of two programs that have a history of working together, two coaches that have... You know, I should play against Lloyd yeah. in under-18s, under man. Yeah. So you know, there, there's a lot of trust and, and respect there. Where, where it's not great, and whether th- this is re- regardless of whether it's a third year or going at, at 16, yeah. is um, greed. And whether you're you're taking that player for the right reason for them or you're taking them for you. Because outside of um, a couple of situations, most of the programmes can offer roughly the same thing. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think that going Caleb going to do a third year at Barking was uh, the wrong thing. I think it was absolutely the right thing. He went on to win MVP of the final, got a scholarship that he probably wouldn't have got if it had stayed in Ipswich. So... That's great, but I also think people have to have an understanding, and I'm not saying this is the right thing. So I've got to be very careful how I word this because people will have a field day. <laughs> is people are academies are a business. People have to realise that and not pre- not lie. Yeah. Don't pretend that it's not. You get money per player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So by a player leaving and doing really well at that program and then winning, and you losing because that player left. You then struggle to attract more players because you maybe didn't make the playoffs or you didn't have as glamorous of a season. So there's a knock-on effect. Yeah. So there is also a responsibility of recognition. And so I know people. People think I self-promote. I don't self-promote. I have to. I we as a program have to shout about our successes because we need to remind people we 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 did this. Yeah. And if you were to come here, you could be part of that. Our girls' program speaks for itself currently, in terms of that kind of thing. But I've had in the past, I've had coaches go behind my back and email players, and 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 you don't want to know what went through my head. But I lose my temper. I, I you know, I'm like, how dare you! Yeah. But if it's done in the right way, and I think that
1: and doing it in the right way is just needs to be a transparent process. I, I just
0: think that there needs to be open communication between uh, the two coaches involved. The player needs to be honest about it but also we can't have a situation where every kid goes to one or two programs because then we lose the, the competition yeah um you know so it's not as i think it's naive to think it's just as straightforward as everyone's got to always do exactly what's best for the player and disregard all of the other things involved because obviously you have to put the player first and we always do yeah but people are allowed to have differing opinions on what's right for that player and people are also allowed to, have, you know, circumstances do come into it. What if a player? What, sorry, what if what if a player leaving costs a program the ability to recruit anyone the following year, and therefore that program dies, and then the club don't yeah. have an exit route for their. Do you, do you know what I mean? And that's an yeah. extreme example. Yeah.
1: Um, do you, Do you think a solution to all of this would be more central control from the federation? Because I like. I I've maintained for a long time. I feel like that is where, if if unfortunately, (laughs) federation seems to get involved with things they don't need to get involved with, and and the things that I feel like they they could actually do some good, um, they aren't involved with. So so, for example, if the federation was just to outline, okay, we're gonna have some regional institutes of basketball. These are gonna be this is where the best talent goes. We're gonna have I don't know, let's say six. Or whatever across the country like evenly spread geographically so they've each got a catchment area and they say to the players in a similar way well this is kind of exactly what was meant to happen with the abl uh in some ways is that then it's like if you want to be selected for national teams and stuff um these are the programs you've got to go to because they're going to get x amount of strength conditioning x amount of physio support x amount of uh coaching hours individuals duh, 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 duh. um and that is clearly it's, it's you know there's no sitting on the fence about it like you know, Barcelona or British Barcelona Federation, whoever you want to say, are going to say these are the these are the institutions that we're these are now you know not their own brand. These are the GB regional institutes. This is what we are now backing. This is where we're sending our players to, um, and that's the way it goes. You know, like surely that would solve a lot of the issues in terms of the infighting because everyone knows where they stand. There's no like they, you know there's a lot of I maintain that the one of the worst things uh, that I was involved with with the academy leagues well not worse things but one of the, the sort of maybe in retrospect I would have done differently is I think the ABL has been given too much significance right in a, in a way where genu- genuinely I think a lot of the players believe that it's on the same level as the EABL right and as a result of that they think they're a lot better than they are you know they think they're putting up ridiculous numbers and they just don't understand the levels um, and it's almost given it too much significance Uh whereas like yeah, in retrospect, I would—I don't know what I would do with it. I understand the rationale for what doing it in the first place, but actually, I would somehow do something to make it clear that this is a second-tier competition, um, and you know, you don't get what you get at any ABL school. Like, yeah, like I'm—I'm ranting a little bit here, but you know, do you think that the federation's involvement, clearly delineating the levels, clearly delineating the pathway where you go if you're an elite player, where you go if you're going to do the, the participation stuff, um, would help solve that situation?
0: It would. I think the problem is there's certain things that are out of their control. Um, Anyone can go to a sixth form. Anyone with a level two coaching qualification can go and check in at a school reception, get their little lanyard badge and go and have a meeting with the head of sixth form or the the principal of that school and say, I'm a basketball coach. I run a basketball club. If I can run a basketball academy here, you'll get 10 kids into sixth form. This year that you wouldn't have got otherwise. That would be worth X amount to yeah, the school. Yeah, but that's yeah. 50,000 quid, and you got to pay me to do it. But you don't pay me fifty grand a year, so you're going to make money out of having me run this basketball academy. All I need in exchange is uh, access to a minibus, a court, some kit, uh, you know, competition fees, etc. And they're going to say yes, and we have them darted all over this country, <laughs> and what basketball England can do nothing about that so I, we can't and sh- they we shouldn't hold them account to that um different people have different opinions about whether by giving profile to the league in which those schools can then enter we're encouraging it yeah um, you know and and I know I was heavily involved it was you and I I remember pacing around my garden what, what seven eight years ago. On the phone to you when we talked about the EABL, <coughs> the concept of the EABL before it was called the EABL, um, and the idea at that point, that we go. You know, what, what was there in, in those days? I'm guessing there was Filton College, which became SGS, Noel Baker School, Loretto, uh, Barking Abbey, Hackney, Ipswich. That was like eight, wasn't there? Yeah, eight academies. Yeah, uh, Reading. You know that that people went to. Um, if you wanted to play basketball, there's now 15 or 16 elite academies.
1: Which is way too many.
0: And then, uh, how many teams are in the ABL? I mean, way too many. <laughs> um, and so if I'm I'm a kid who wants to go to an academy, where do I go to get the information on...
1: Yeah. And that's, wh- well, that's what I'm saying, is the basketball women need to make it clear. Like That's where it's like, whether it's some type of... I don't know. I don't know what it is. There, there just needs to be, I think... Basel England at times Well on the British part You know everyone's too scared Of upsetting people That's the problem That's just general British culture Isn't it mm. It's like you know Let's do the, the thing That's going to upset The least people uh, And please everyone When actually I feel like that is partly What's got us in the situation We're in today Where it's like No do you know what You need to get off the fence And you need to say Do you know what These places Based on their track record Based on what they've done They've proven it They've proven it And that's why we're now saying We are Going to give X amount of resource or whatever, and, and put these up on a pedestal, um, and we're going to send all the players there. But that's yeah, obviously that just hasn't happened.
0: It, it, the, the, uh, I I think that there's um, there's conversations to be had about that with the right people round a table um, where that's the only topic of discussion. Yeah, uh, and I would be happy to go to that discussion, and uh, and I hope you would, and and, and I, because I know that um, having built a program from the ground up. Um, I know how it feels for these guys that are building programs that in their mind think they're doing a great job and they, in many cases they are that they want to have their players stay with them because it, it's worked up until that point. Yeah. Um, I also know what it's like to run what I would consider now to be one of, one of the higher profile programs and see players that are in a program that can't offer what we can offer and I'm like that kid really should be moving on now, but I don't want to break the code of conduct. To go and, and ring the parents, or, or you know, you do the old-fashioned car park conversation and all that kind of. So I've kind of I kind of see both sides. Yeah. I don't know what the solution is. I, I'm you know, truth be told, I think there should probably be eight to ten academies, and that should be the EABL, and they should, that should be the one that has a, a, a ton of investment in it. Uh, and and if you want to be a top level player these are the 10 programs yeah. that are well resourced and well funded and these are the top coaches but i also know how i'd feel if someone to turn around to me and say no, nick you're the 11th program so you you know you're yeah. not you're not yeah you're not you're not going to get that support because i'd you know I always say, and people might not like me for saying it, but I'll, I'll hang my ability to develop a basketball player up against anyone's. And But then every coach feels like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I don't know what the answer is, but yeah, this clearly needs to be some things done. We're going on 90 minutes, um, so probably need to wrap up semi-soonish. There was definitely uh, one thing I did want to touch upon uh, was uh, your work with national teams. Um, obviously, uh, you were involved with the under-16s, which is the first team to get, promotion to Division A in 2011 mm-hmm. yep. um, and aside from that you did some work with the 18s as well and you were involved with the uh, Division A um, so yeah kind of I guess you know reflecting on the experience as a whole with the national team you know, how, how was it uh, you know why are you not, not involved in the same way anymore um, and uh, yeah I guess any sort of stories that stick out that, that kind of you like to reflect upon
0: well I mean 2011 I was uh, essentially the apprentice coach Simon Fisher, who... Um,
1: he's now with British Wheelchair Basketball, right?
0: Yeah. Simon Fisher, in my opinion, is he, missed massively in the basketball community. He, he's somebody that we need, we miss. Very dear friend of mine. Just never got, done a bad thing to anybody. Yeah, top guy. Um, Simon uh, invited me because uh, through my relationship with Matt Johnson, Matt introduced me to Simon. And Simon took me as his kind of apprentice coach in the 2011 team uh and i i learned a ton from being with simon simon's assistant was carl brown and he also had sean reed around and that they it was like a, a constant sort of tv show those three guys together it was hilarious sean sean and carl were like a double actors just just some of the best times late night conversations stuff i've been around obviously a very very talented team
1: um, and that was the golden '95 generation, right? Yeah, so Kingsley
0: Okora, Luke Nelson, uh, Toel Isaacs, yeah, Dwayne Aries, no. yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, Moshe, Ben Mead, I'm going to shout out Ben, ben Mead, yeah, <laughs> of course.
1: Um, Sam Round, yeah, yeah.
0: So great team. We 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 won every game on the way to the final, and then we lost in the final. And it was just an amazing journey. I, I was was kind of learning my my trade a little bit. I've been around national teams with Tim Lewis and Matt in 05. and again with Simon in '07. Um, but this was my first kind of formal involvement, um, and I I kind of Simon was brilliant at running a staff, um, and, and and making you feel like a family, and, and and I I use that kind of term a lot um, when I'm coaching, and, and you have to when you when you're in little old Ipswich. There was very much an us against the world mentality with that coaching staff, and and watching Carl coach defense was amazing. I like I just. Took so much from watching Carl operate. Three years later, Carl was the. Make sure you face the mic. Sorry, twisting a little bit. Yeah. Three years later, Carl was the head coach of the 18th in Division A, and I was appointed. So I wasn't the apprentice anymore. I was the appointed assistant coach with Carl in Division A, and I had a very different experience. Um, because we it were in Turkey. Yeah, in Konya. Um, which age group was that was that, that under wasn't, 18s was it
1: 95s though it 96s. Wasn't,
0: it 96s. No, 96s bless their little hearts had to follow the 95s so yeah. every time the 95s got promoted the 96s got them relegated <laughs> and um, yeah it was it was rough for that group because they always had to play in division a um but, but in 2014 I, I remember sitting uh, at the airport and uh, we were in this kind of lounge and there was ourselves the Croatians. I think bosnia were there and and england and bosnia had jordan brand tracksuits and uniforms and 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 croatia were in nike and and we were in zotti <laughs> and we had our fruit of the loom t-shirts on <laughs> and i remember thinking we're screwed <laughs> and uh I mean you know we we playing against NBA players guys that are in the you know Sabonis and and Dragon Bender and these guys are playing in the in the, in the NBA now and and like Sabonis is a legit NBA starter and we 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 prepping these games <laughs> I'm coming be like oh god Nick scout can you scout him I'm like I just don't feel like feel like my skeleton's gonna work here (laughs) but you know what i will say this and we that was when when vladan was still involved and vladan sort of looming constantly uh, around the program vladan was the former sort of pathway
1: program manager talent Um, id guy
0: yeah and um vastly knowledgeable great guy but you know it, it it was like having you know the head teacher in your lesson all the time and um Helicopter parenting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and we, we were totally out of our depth. We, we, we struggled. Um, I learned so much from Carl. Um, the biggest thing I learned was that I'm an absolutely shocking assistant coach. <laughs> um, but it was also kind of those two experiences that made me kind of be so opinionated about the development of the academy leagues and in the early days way before kind of finals in arenas and hundreds and hundreds of people i was pushing for video analysis and the facilities and the means for us to scout because i didn't have a clue what i was doing uh, you know my scouting was left-handed right-handed can they shoot <laughs> you know how are we going to defend them in the post what we're going to do in pick and roll but you know and, and and I mean, I got to work with Dan Pets, who's over in Spain, working in the ACB. And I was like, man, this is real basketball. And, and I kind of got exposed to all that stuff and thought, do you know what, we, we as the professional workforce in the UK have a responsibility to get better at this stuff. Me more than anyone, because I'm terrible. Um, and I kind of vowed that I'd never be an assistant coach again. Not because my ego, quite the opposite, because I'm terrible absolutely terrible at at that job and I, I want to get better at it but why are you terrible I'm a I'm a you need a, to be the main guy or? I, I I think there's an element of that I'm an alpha personality and I've been the master of my own empire for nearly 20 years now but I think more so I just I know what I want when I'm the head coach and and I think I might be a good assistant coach but Carl and I uh, I mean Carl's Carl's basketball knowledge and, and and everything is just is vast and I think that I uh, my skill set didn't suit carl um, and that's my fault not his <laughs> that's for sure um but i but i think that that was one of the best and worst experiences of my life because i was out there in turkey just i just didn't want to be there by the end of it i was like i'm not enjoying this i don't think i'm doing a very good job we're losing i think i'm frustrating the staff because i'm getting i'm making it obvious that i don't think i'm doing a great job yeah um, so i i kind of vowed that, that that was me done with national teams, because because I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I've got two beautiful little children at home, and going away with the national teams after a long long basketball season is is, is rough. Yeah. Um, I remember in 2011, um, my 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 uh, my son learned like five new words while I was away, and I missed it. Um, and so I kind of said I didn't want to do it anymore. But then since then I've there's an itch there again that I want to scratch at some stage. I kind of say every September and October I want to coach national teams and then I get to March <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to apply. Yeah. I'm not going to apply. And um, right now, if I was to apply, I'd probably apply on the girls' side, which is strange considering, you know, I'm, I'm still relatively new to the women's game. Yeah. It's funny, I, th- I feel like it, a lot of people don't,
1: well, I guess probably the people that are involved with the game realise, but a lot of people don't realise just how antisocial being involved with basketball is in the sense that especially if you're practicing every night or whatever you've got games on the weekend like you don't have the time you know i know obviously i've got a games on the weekend to film or whatever or to go and check them out and it's just tough to then like well to have any time for anything else it, it, you know and that's i think that's one of the again one of the reasons that the game struggles because it's like when when people aren't necessarily being rewarded you know if you're if you're a player and you're not getting paid you know you're a coach and you're not getting paid a lot you a lot of it's volunteer based and you know, and your wife or your partner or your husband or whatever is like, oh, well, you know, what is our family getting out of this? Aside from you being away from us all the
0: time, yeah. it's it's hard to it's hard to um, make the case, right? Well, It's one of the big things that I've said, and I think I've I've probably tweeted about it because I think I've tweeted about everything <laughs> at one stage or another. Our our, uh, our coaches are getting younger, and that's great because um, when I started coaching, I was one of, I was re- I was a lot younger than everybody else. Very few guys in their early 20s were coaching now it's really trendy to be a coach um, and my concern with this kind of investment into the young coaches all the time is what happens when they have a family um because i can speak from experience i'm 38 years old now i have a 10 year old and a seven year old and a wife and my life is put on hold from september to april may every year like you say I've missed wedding anniversaries. I've missed children's birthdays. I've, you know, things that I'm never going to get back. And, and and I say to friends all the time, whether they're basketball friends or or otherwise, about having kids. I'm like, you got to be ready because trust me, you know. I I my wife is the most amazing woman in the world, and I say that for for many reasons. But the single biggest reason why is she is so unconditionally supportive of my career not because it pays the mortgage, not because it pays the bills, but because she loves me and she knows what it what it means to me. And what I mean to the people that I work with, I'm not going to pretend that that's not a factor. So she has to essentially share me. And we have our end-of-season dinner every year in May, and she'll get presented with a bunch of flowers by the players who will say thanks for letting us have him for the last nine months. <laughs> and um, that goes a long way. But the reason why I say that is this really isn't a lifestyle that's suited to people with a young family and, and, and people with... Yeah, you know, other commitments i don't see my friends a great deal when i do see my friends they say to me what have you been up to and i'm like man don't ask me that it's like being at work yeah um so you know i got a ton of kind of experiences that i'd share with young coaches on you know get as much learning in as you can now because once you have a family you, you ain't going to be going off to slovenia for four days to, to watch coaches you're gonna you're gonna be going to you know Pleasure with hills and lower stuff, or you know, and taking and pushing a pram around a lake or something like that. Yeah. So, final question to wrap up: the future of of Ipswich Basketball Club. You know, um,
1: where do you where do you see the club going? What do you want, sort of, in the immediate future? I guess looking ahead to sort of next season
0: and then sort of next three to five years, what do you want to happen? Do you know what, Sam? It's a question I get asked all the time. It's probably the the question my mates do ask me when I when I go and have a beer with them. I I think just get better. Just get better at what we do. I'd love I'd love for a sugar daddy to come in and give me some money. Not me personally, but the program some money so I could offer a full time coaching position or two to guys like Adam Davies, Matt Harbour, guys that have graduated. I don't mean specifically those two guys be yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. But um Poaching you know, tampering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um in you no know, in terms of um we we are a stepping stone for people. We're a part we're a rung on the ladder and i do think that the 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 next step would be to be able to provide more employment for people and and grow this program even bigger because i'm i'm the only full time person in our program and you know i'm 38 now man <laughs> you know i'm 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 ready to start training up a, a, a someone to inherit this i've got i've got 20 years left i think but not much more than that <laughs>
1: Perfect. That's a great place to leave it. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for, for coming through. It's much appreciated. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sam.
0: You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos, and more.